0: you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark 9. Um, uh, you notice Tejete and Melanie are, are going on this trip. Uh, many of you may not know that Tejete's mother um, passed away this past week. Uh, she had been battling cancer uh, for quite a stretch of time. And, uh, and that's in Mongolia. And so Hete will not be immediately able to go to Mongolia, but he will be going um, a little bit later as part of another ministry trip and be able to spend time with his father and broader family. But be remembering Hete and his family um, in the loss of his, his mom uh, just this past week. Let's stand together. Um, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing in the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another, about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we exalt and extol you. Lord, we ask that you would draw us up and that you would enable us to be able to rejoice even in the face of our enemies. Lord, you tell us elsewhere. That the last enemy, the most severe enemy, is death itself. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the assurance that Hete and his family are able to rejoice in the face of their enemies, even when that enemy is death and has taken a much-loved mother away. For Hete's mother had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and was in possession of resurrection life, eternal life, at the time of her physical death. And so, as the psalmist says, enabling those who know her and love her especially of those with the understanding of Christians, those in Christ, to rejoice even in the face of the last enemy, which is death itself. O Lord our God, we cry out unto you in our need and pray that you would heal us. As Jim mentioned earlier in the service, there's so many things going on in our lives at any given time, especially in our collective lives as a congregation. And we require healing on many levels, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you are able And have brought us up and brought our souls up from a condition of spiritual death and made us alive when previously we were as lost as anyone else and doomed to go down into the pit, the ultimate pit of everlasting death. Lord may we as the people who have inherited your steadfast love sing for joy and give thanks to you as we remind ourselves of your great holiness. For your anger when it comes to your covenant people is but for a moment but your favor is for a lifetime. Oh, we weep over ourselves for a short hour in the evening, but there is the joy of rejoicing in the morning. But Lord, as we note in our text for this morning, we are so prone to pride and self-assurance. And as the psalmist says, When I was in my prosperity, I thought to myself, I shall not be moved. I cannot be moved. I'm on top of the world. But then in the next moment, you cover your face and we are completely dismayed and overwhelmed by circumstances far out of our control, some of them exceedingly painful and regrettable. So, Lord, we pray that you would come and meet us in this hour as we come to worship you. We ask again that you would go with our team to Mexico and make them a great... Encouragement that you would be with each Sunday school teacher in the next hour and make them an encouragement to their students. That you would bless the time after Sunday school with the worship uh, around the church plant and the meal. And we ask, Lord, for all of these things to be granted. Enable us to sing of your glory. O Lord our God. Forever and ever may we be among those who praise and thank you. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, come back again pretty centrally in our text for this morning, but as we mentioned uh, last Sunday morning, Paul gives really quite a remarkable description of Jesus as a teacher in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, 3, speaking of Jesus, in whom were hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a pretty great teacher. If if your teacher has within himself all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then you know you've got the right teacher. Or a few verses later, six verses later, in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily. If you're connected to a teacher in whom the fullness of deity dwells, bodily you have been blessed with quite a teacher and that's who's teaching us when we open our Bible each day that's whose word we can meditate on every day is Jesus the teacher what a remarkable, remarkable thing. In the most famous extended teaching section that we have in the Gospels on Jesus himself teaching, what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, here's how the sermon began. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. But the whole thing begins. You'll notice. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. And all of the commentators basically agree that that's sort of an ode to the prominence of humility. Blessed are those who have a sense of their own spiritual poverty, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John Milton, in his most famous poem, Paradise Lost, is famous for describing the attitude of hell on the far end of the spectrum from the emphasis of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In that 17th century poem, in the middle of it, particularly in the section that runs from lines 221 down to 279, is what may be the most often quoted piece that comes from that poem. You'll almost certainly have heard it before. Where in the person of Satan himself, this statement is made. Here we may reign secure... And in my choice, to reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice. Oh, do we in our culture love to talk about choice. We're big on choice. Yeah, Milton Satan is big on choice. To reign is worth ambition. Even if you have to reign in hell, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Now, Milton didn't make that stuff up out of the clear blue sky. What was he commenting on? He was commenting on the nature of the world. This is how all the empires of the world have been. Our choice, our will, our is all. Autonomously chosen direction in life. That was the main thing in 1st century Roman Empire where the disciples grew up and lived. That was the main thing in 17th century England where Milton grew up and lived. And that's the main thing in 21st century America. And it was true in 20th century America where all of us grew up and lived And our text for this morning warns us about this. And don't for a, don't suppose for a moment that you have gone through your life unaffected by that outlook. It's a powerful outlook. It's an inviting outlook. It's an addictive outlook. Here's how Mark describes how it works. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put it in the midst of them. And taking him, or taking it, the child, in his arms, he said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, by which, of course, he means not only me, but him who sent me. Now, I state our thesis for this morning this way. We're called upon to shed the priorities of our culture if we would be disciples. It's not easily done, but it's our calling. We're called upon to shed the priorities of our culture (coughs) if we would be disciples. Uh, Number one... Um, this never happens naturally. Um, Number one, we naturally tend to hang on to the priorities of our culture. It's very difficult not to do so, in fact. We naturally tend to hang on to the priorities of our culture. After all, we breathe the air of our culture hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, all our lives long. And it's there. It's palpable. It's real. It shoots through all of our educational institutions. It's shot through most of the things that we now have in the 21st century that come to us by means of technology, our politics, our film industry, our media. It shot through it all, this cultural perspective, and thereby we have been immersed in it all of our lives long, one day at a time, and that was true of these disciples in the first century Roman Empire as well. They'd grown up in the Roman Empire. In its manifestation in Palestine and Galilee, sure enough, but the Roman Empire. Nevertheless, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing in the way? They kept silent. For on the way, they were discussing who was the greatest. This last Wednesday night on, uh, in our trek through the Psalms, we were in Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, the second half of the psalm is all focused on the Word of God written. The first half is on the Word of God that is inescapable when you look up into the sky outside any given day, day or night. The second half of Psalm 19 is the Word of God written. And here's what he says about the Word of God written, just three verses of it, verses 9 to 11, 11 being the one we're most interested in. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. together, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, with the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. That is, by these written words, your servant is warned. Though the disciples have been listening regularly to Jesus for months on end, and great emphasis in Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit. Which is a wonderful idea, you know, in a Sunday school class and places like that. But in real life, in real life, aren't we... A little more interested, actually, in who's on top. Who's the greatest? They were. They were. You can picture them, can't you? What were you guys talking about in the way? All of a sudden, they're looking at the ground. Well, what? not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, we we like hardly remember. Uh, I mean, I'm not. uh, 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 uh. He's not asking because he wants to know. He's asking, of course, because he was overhearing them. He knows exactly what they were talking about in the way. But now that Jesus brings it up, they're a little embarrassed to tell him. You can imagine how the conversation might have been. You know, remember, they're arguing. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest disciple in the midst? And if you're Peter, it, you would, it would have been hard to resist this. Okay, I'm trying to remember. How many of us, how many of us have ever walked on the water during a storm at sea? Oh, I'm the only one? Oh. Oh. I'm not saying that proves everything, but it might be a clue. might be a clue. Uh And you can see Peter, I mean James and John, well, yeah that may be, but at least we we, we were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and there's nine of you here. (laughs) Pretty much just got to take our word for whatever happened up there because you didn't get to come, (laughs) you know. As I remember, uh, you guys were down below failing to cast out demons. (laughs) And then we came down and rescued the mess, as I remember. So like nine of you, I think we can easily move off to the side. And now we're really trying to hand out the gold and silver and bronze medals here. I remember a, uh, a Western in the late 1960s, so I'm just appealing to the old people. And you may not even remember it either because it didn't stay on the air very long. It's one of these, ran for two seasons. the 1960s, Westerns were a big thing. Lots of Westerns. And, uh, and the uh, aging character actor from the movies, actually, was a pretty big star in a small star sort of way. Walter Brennan had been in a lot of films throughout his career, but usually playing subparts. But he was a movie star, and so for him to show up on television was kind of a a thing and, and they tried to make a, a a a sitcom for him playing the role of a the grandfather over a a family of famous gunfighter sorts. It was called the Guns of Will Sonnet. And, uh, and they were traveling around looking for a missing son, and when they would meet anybody, this has happened over and over again in the show, the Walter Brennan character, the grandfather, would say, this is my son, he's really good with a gun, and this is my grandson, He's even better. And I'm better than both of them. And then the famous, no brag, just fact. No brag, just fact. Well, you can kind of imagine Peter saying that. You know, John's a great disciple. James, wonderful disciple. I think they might be number two and three. I just happen to be greater than both of them. No brag, just fact. Walked on the water. That's the kind of discussion they're having. So you can see, if you know how Jesus thinks about things, how embarrassing it was when he asked them, what were you discussing? In the way. Because that's what they were discussing. Where did they learn that from the Roman Empire? That was simply Roman Empire thinking, clinging to them, clinging to them. And so in an unguarded moment, their sort of default mode was to forget everything that Jesus had said about spiritual poverty and have a spirited discussion as to which of them was the greatest. That's what had just happened. Secondly, so we require corrective instruction to shed the priorities of our culture. And he sat down and called the 12. Now that's, a, that's a, what you refer that's kind of a pregnant little line. He sat down to call the 12. In the ancient world, and we know at least through the first four or five centuries of the Christian Church, unlike here in the 21st century, right, where I'm speaking and standing, And you're listening and seated. In Jesus' day, it was always the other way around. It was the teacher who sat down. And the audience stood. That was still going on in Augustine's day. He he might talk for an hour and a half in the desert. In Egypt. And people would be standing there. Well, he sat and taught. That's how ancient the idea is, but that's that's clue language, right? So Jesus sat down, right? Why? To do some formal instruction to correct the problem that they just made plain to him, they have. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. In other words, if you really are worried about prominence in any sense that will turn out to matter in the long run, then what you really want to figure out is, who does God think of? As sort of coming in first. And that's what he's telling them. Who God tends to think of. If anyone would be first. You have to realize he's got to be last of all. He's got to be servant of all. In other words, God doesn't think about these things anything like Caesar thinks about them. God does not think about these things anything like Herod thinks about them. God doesn't think about these things anything like Pilate, anything like the Roman Empire on the grand scale. None of what you've seen going around all your life, going on around you, none of that is even a fair Reflection of the priorities of the kingdom of God—they're <clears throat> vastly, vastly, vastly different—and you see this; it's right there through the whole uh, prophetic tradition. I realize that it's been—it's been, it's been more—it's been twenty years at least. Uh, you know, we've been cycled. We've been in the Old Testament on Sunday nights primarily for a long, long time. And and Pastor Don is actually uh, cycling through material that I went through some 20 years ago. And I remember clearly how striking it was because we went right from the end of Deuteronomy. So as soon as we finished Deuteronomy um, 34, uh, we did this really innovative thing and started in Joshua 1. And and this phrase, this phrase is repeated over and over again. It's first given in Deuteronomy 34 and then repeated several times throughout Joshua chapter 1. Here's how it's Put in Deuteronomy 34, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Book of Joshua begins, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua 1.13, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Joshua 1.15, following, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land of the Lord your God that he is giving them, then you shall return to the land and take possession of it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you. Now, make no mistake about it: Moses then and Moses now is, in many ways, still the greatest political leader that the nation of Israel ever had. At this stage, he's the only national leader they've ever had. They didn't really exist as a nation until they came out of Egypt and went to their covenant. And there's Moses. But none, no talk like that at, at the end of Deuteronomy or at the beginning of Joshua. Now Moses, our greatest leader, says. No, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses, the servant of the Lord. Um, That's different. That's different. In other words, no indication that Israel ever thought of having something like a song, Hail for the Chief, when Moses comes in the room. No. No. Moses the servant of the Lord. Jesus is teaching them that. Secondly, or thirdly, uh, we require the reorientation of values to escape the priorities of our culture. So that's, this is the content of what Jesus actually teaches, but central to the teaching is In this case, a visual aid. Jesus is about to use a visual aid. And here is his visual aid. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name, receives me. Now, what he's illustrating is, what did I mean when I said, if you want to be great, you have to be servant of all. Servant of all. Now, remember, the whole context of this service is humility. They're arguing about who's the greatest. No, 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 Jesus says. You need a completely different kind of thinking about such questions. Humility is the thing. Humility is the thing. Servant of all. Now, in the first century, children are no big deal, sociologically speaking. Not, they're still not a huge deal in some ways, but in the first century, they would have never thought up to come up with a, a political slogan like "No Child Left Behind." They didn't think about children that way, you know. You know, uh, "No Child Left Behind." Their culture would have said, "So what? So what?" Children simply don't matter that much until they re- they reach a certain age. That's how they thought. That's the ancient world. Servant of all. And so Jesus takes a kid who illustrates how far the all goes so that he can talk to them about Serving something as insignificant as a child. Servant of all. You say, well, you know, at least we have a better understanding of children than that. Not much. We haven't changed all that much. Just think just think about this. How much impact it would have on you if, if when you hear So and so came to faith at Awana last week. Well, that's good. You know, we might even say something about the angels rejoicing in heaven. But what if you heard that Jeff Bezos came to faith? Now let me make clear, he has not. Uh, so don't 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 go looking on the internet. The pastor said, "Jeff Bezos." No, I didn't. I didn't. He has not. But if we did hear, Jeff Bezos has come to faith. We want to read about this. Whoa, whoa. Well, why? Why? You ever heard of Amazon? You ever heard the word billionaire? 179 times over. Billionaire times 179. For now, goes up and down. Oh, we'd be interested in that. We'd be written up in all the Christian magazines. We'd wonder where he's going to give the money. That's a big thing. Jeff Bezos has come to faith. Wow. Wow. We literally catch ourselves thinking, wow, the Lord got lucky on that one. Now he's got Jeff. Wow. We are prone to think like that. We really are. Jesus is not. He really, really, really isn't. You see, in our sentence, Jeff Bezos has come to faith. Jeff Bezos is the big thing. Coming to faith is the little thing. Well, that happens all the time. And for Jesus, you see, billionaires are never the big thing. Coming to faith is always the big thing. And Jesus is saying to us, you have learned a lot of false teaching from your culture, and I am teaching you not to think like that don't you guys think like that? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Fourth and finally, we require a reorientation of values into theological rather than sociological categories. Now this is made quite plain in verse 37. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me. But him who sent me. We make our way all the way back to God the Father in that little sequence. So you receive a child in my name. You receive this most insignificant person. In my name. You've received me. Oh, and by the way, when you re- whenever you receive me, you don't just receive me. But you ultimately receive the one who, who sent me. Um, do you see what happened to the disciples on the way? They completely forgot about God. They're not thinking about God. They're thinking about each other in purely sociological categories. Who's the greatest disciple? Which is just like, who's the greatest hitter in baseball? Who's the greatest scorer in the NBA? Who's the greatest running back? Who's the greatest... You just name the category. They're thinking like that. Where did they learn to think that? From the entire empire around them everybody thinks that way everybody thinks that way we've been schooled all of our lives to think about life in sociological categories and to disregard theological categories almost completely that's what we do that's what we do that's what they're doing really took off when I was a little boy, probably like no other time, right? Because when I was a little boy, a gold medalist from the American Olympic team became the heavyweight champion of the world, and his name was Cassius Clay. And he then converted to Islam and renamed himself Muhammad Ali, And when he was 33 years old, he wrote an autobiography. came out the first part of January 1975. He gave it this kind of uh, catchy title, The Greatest, My Own Story. The Greatest, My Own Story. By that time, we loved him for it. We loved him for it. Well, as long as you're able to do what you say, that's uh, that's pretty good. No, I mean, you can't take any away from Muhammad. That's, that's uh, I, I admire that kind of, of thing. The greatest my own story. He is, he was the greatest boxer. Why not just say it out loud, you know? So Peter's thinking, I am the greatest disciple. Why not just say it out loud? He says, sociological categories. Sociological categories. They're not to be the controlling category of your life. And thinking. Just, just think of the, the way that Jesus taught the disciples to think about themselves. It was just in the last chapter, Mark chapter 8. So this, they, they had just heard this. And you can see that it failed completely to land on them in any practical way. Here's what they had been told. Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35. And calling a crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Now taking up your cross and being the greatest are are not very similar to each other. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. But as I say, here they're arguing. Like Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Sociologically, I'm the greatest. Many of you, quite a few of you in this room because it takes a lot of volunteers. This last Wednesday night, you were somewhere in this building and you were you were with a kid or two or three. You might have been listening to your their verses or you might have been teaching them something but but there you were and you had some kids. Um and you were there Because of your commitment to Jesus. That's why. It's not because you don't have anything else you could think of to do on a Wednesday night. said, No, I've got lots of things I could think of to do. But I think I'll keep going out there and working with these kids. And I think you might be able to refer to that as receiving a child in Christ's name. Now, do you see what Jesus says about that? It's a big deal. That's a big deal. No, it, it is not. It can't be. Can't be, never has been, never will be a big deal. Jesus says, I'm just telling you. You receive a child in my name. You indicate that you're receiving me. And to receive me, you indicate that you're receiving my Father in heaven, the one who sent me. Clearly, you can see that's a big deal. We can't see it. We can't see it. Who do we think is a big deal? Oh, boy, a couple of weeks ago. Whoa, 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 whoa. Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey. Whoa. Now there is a big deal. There is a gigantic deal. Gigantic. Gigantic. Famous fornicating fools. We can get behind that as a nation. We are impressed with that. But kids, come on. Jesus is warning us. Reality is different than you think. Reality is different than you think. Do not not let Babylon, the great city, American business and advertisers and cultural influencers teach you to view life through a purely sociological lens. You just be impressed with Caesar and Herod and Pilate and Jesus won't fit into your equation at all. But Jesus says, serving children, embracing children in my name, attaches you to God. And who is God? Well, you see, he's the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things So some of you in the next hour, you're going to be teaching Sunday school. What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to receive some children in Jesus' name. Jesus says, well, here's how you ought to think about that. As you receive them, you receive me. And as you receive me, you receive not only me. But you announce a connection with the one from whom and through whom, and to whom are all things. That's reality. That's reality. The prominence of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift says, and I said, well, that sounds kind of judgmental, Pastor. That's very judgmental. Jesus talked that way, though, "Thou fool." "Thou fool," He said of a rich man, "Your soul will be required of you." Now, of course, their soul is not required to them, but you know almost, almost exactly, almost to the day, almost to the day, 26 and a half years ago. A woman more prominent than Taylor Swift will ever be. And she's massively prominent. But she stepped into a luxury car and took off. And on August the 31st, 1997, her soul was required of her. Princess Diana. Massive funerals. Great mourning. Tributes upon tributes upon tributes upon tributes upon tributes upon tributes. But this question never came up. But what was the relationship between Princess Diana? And the one from whom, and through whom, and to whom, are all things. Because I'm telling you, that's the only connection that matters now. And that's the only connection that will ever matter again forever let's pray our father in heaven Lord we pray that you would awaken us to the strong tendency we have To be merely sociological creatures when you seek to make us theological creatures. Oriented toward your son and through your son oriented ultimately to you. Oh Lord. We ask that you would open our eyes to these things. And that we would see the power, the importance, the transcendence of something as simple as humble service to you in the lowest and most insignificant ways that you assure us is a way bigger deal than we think. And you warn us that so much that so prominent around us is actually nothing a mere mirage a deception a pending disaster we ask for this in Jesus name Amen